All right, hold on to your hats, travelers. We got quite the show for you on this episode of Relish the Journey. This is a Relish the Journey first, okay? Here's this for a cliff note. I'm going to talk to a guy. His name's Mike. He's being sued by his mother for over $50 million, okay? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> if that doesn't catch your attention, then good luck with other podcasts you're interested in. This is an amazing story of a family and not just the, the legal battle they're entrenched in for nine years now and still going, but also the mental fortitude that they have forged, the way they approach this and the rest of their lives. It's really, it's admirable. So here's Mike Ruff and his story. All right, Mr. Mike Ruff, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm looking forward to getting into your story. It's definitely a first for the podcast. So again, thank you. <laughs> thanks for having me, Miles. I appreciate being here. Yeah, and so we'll get right into that, right? I won't won't bury the lead, get into the tease here. First for the podcast, because I can honestly say, at least to my knowledge, that you are the first person I've interviewed on this podcast that is in an active lawsuit. You are being sued for $50 million by your mother, of all people. And from what I, I saw online and interacting with your wife before we set up this interview, the story is just something out of you know Hollywood. You really couldn't write it or fabricate it um, to be what it is. You know, it's, it's real life. So I'd like to start there and just get right into that. If you could give us the background on what is this lawsuit about, you know, what brought us to have this conversation today? Sure. Uh, Miles, I'm, I'm, my family's actually down in Texas uh, and we, uh, I grew up here in Dallas. Uh, I went to school down in Houston, uh, Rice University, and then came back here up, uh, after I graduated. My father was actually diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma back when I was a freshman in college. Uh, I ended up switching majors. Uh, I was pre-med at the time. I uh, realized that um, I actually was pretty fascinated in business. My dad was a banker uh, and a real estate investor. Uh, and he reached out to me and said, Mike, look, if, if this is something that you want to do, uh, we've got probably limited time. I'm obviously going to fight uh, this cancer as best I can. But if, if you'll graduate early and come back up, um, ingratiate yourself into the business and and try and learn uh, as much as you can. And I, I I said, Dad, absolutely. Uh, and and so that was back in 1995, believe it or not. Uh, so I came back to Dallas um, and I studied at his feet for uh, a couple of years. Uh, he was in and out of chemotherapy and ultimately he died uh, in January of 1998. Um, looking back, those, those couple of years that I did get to spend with him were uh, some of the best of my life. Um, really got a chance to learn who he was as a man. Uh, his and my relationship changed. Uh, I was 18 at the time he was diagnosed and was 22 uh, when he died. Um, but my family was very close at the time. Uh, I have four siblings uh, and a, a mother who unfortunately has struggled all her life with mental illness. And when my father died, uh, she uh, really spun out of control, uh, despite uh, my efforts and her other children's efforts to kind of keep her uh, on the straight and narrow. And uh, and that one thing led to another. And over the course of the next decade, uh, my family has essentially disintegrated. Um, and and once that happened, uh, we all thought we had found a peaceful coexistence. And then my mother found some lawyers. Uh, who turned around and sued uh, all of her children. Uh, and we've been stuck in the Texas court system for the last nine years based on that. And wow. so it's been it's been a brutal ride. Um, and I say brutal only in the sense that it's been such a new uh, and negative experience in the legal system. At the same time, you contrast that with how close I've become with my siblings. Uh, I've got an incredibly supportive wife, and I've raised two sons during all of this, trying to keep my head about me and trying to stay positive about life. Yeah, nine years is an, in, an incredible amount of time to be stuck in a lawsuit, well, for anything, really. So uh, what are the grounds of the lawsuit? You know, th 
what is she suing you over specifically? Yeah, so so in when my father died in 1998, he had a will. Uh, my father was a successful real estate developer uh, here in Dallas. He ran a company called Vantage, uh, which it, at the time was one of the larger developers in this local area. Uh, and he was also a banker. And so w- when he died, he, he it was sudden in the sense of he had a couple of years to prepare, uh, but he didn't he wasn't able to wind up all of his affairs. And so I ended up uh, stepping into his shoes and essentially taking over and trying uh, to manage uh, what was left of some of the businesses. Um, and that went that went really well for a while. I got the chance to invest in some really cool companies, uh, a company called Newsmax out of Florida, a guy named Chris Ruddy. Uh, started a, a company called Efficientatic Systems that um, uh, did insulation radiant barrier with Home Depot. Uh, so it was it was a, a good time uh, to get my feet wet in the business. And at the time, my mother's mental illness was was fairly under control. Uh, at the time, she was still seeing psychiatrists. She was still on medications. Um, and then really the family fell apart when I have a brother who, unbeknownst to us, uh, is a pedophile. And so he was busted with child pornography uh, and sentenced to seven years in federal prison. And that is the seminal event that really caused my mother to have a psychiatric break. Uh, and then after that, uh, she decided that she was angry with her other children and she didn't like the way in her mind uh, we helped her after uh, our dad died in terms of her assets, her spending. Uh, she was a frivolous spender uh, and she w- frittered away most of her money uh, and turned around a decade later and attempted to blame her children. And mind you, she was the executor of my father's will. So she was in control of all the money, but because of her mental illness, she was able to change her story, change reality, and instead blame her four of her children. Uh, and the system, uh, the legal system is just not set up from our experience uh, to deal with a, a, a party or a person who's unable to process reality. Sure. So the will comes out. You said she's the executive of the will. So is she suing you for the money that she misspent? Like she's saying that it's your fault and now yeah. she wants it back? Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. So so in order and to, to unfortunately give you some legal terms that I didn't know before this lawsuit, uh, she's suing for breach of fiduciary duty. Uh, she's suing for something called conversion. Uh, she's suing for um, – uh, a bunch of torts in Texas that, again, don't make any sense to us other than uh, she's upset with what she did with her money and she wants to blame her children for not doing a better job of keeping her uh, on the straight and narrow. Wow. So how does that involve, like evolve over nine years? You know, that's, so, that seems like what we just covered could be what, that, you know, you probably had to reiterate that a hundred times in the first three months, right? How does it drag out for nine whole years? You know, so it's a that's a that's a great question, and it's one that for the first few years we racked our brains on. And the problem is that when my father died, uh, a trust was supposed to be set up for my mother. So his will called for a trust that to be run with one of my father's friends and lawyer at the time, a, a man named Tom Gowan. Uh, Tom Gowan. Uh, my mother went to him and threatened him and said, look, if you serve as trustee, I'm going to sue you. She did not want anyone else to be in control. Uh, she didn't like my father's friends. Uh, they were hunting buddies of his. And so it just devolved very quickly. But she got control of the assets very early. And then about nine years later, so in 2007, she finally set up a trust uh, for herself and for her five children. Um, I was the original trustee of that trust, but I only served as trustee for about two years from 2007 until 2009. Uh, And as I was telling you earlier in 2008, that's when my brother Matt uh, was busted for, for child sex crimes. And so that put tremendous strain on the family at that time. And my mother asked me to resign as trustee, which I did. Uh, We, all the other children stepped back as well. And we said, we're okay with that, mom, but you need to release us. 
uh, and we need to separate and we need to move on. We want peace. She said, great, that's what she wanted. And we thought uh, that was the end of things. Uh, a bank named Frost Bank, a big bank, $30 billion institution, is the one who stepped in as trustee of my mother's trust. Uh, and almost immediately, she became angry with Frost Bank uh, and the way they ran the trust. Uh, unbeknownst to us at the time, Frost Bank was blaming us. And so there was a great deal of animosity there. And then in 2011, 2010, she kept asking for more money from Frost Bank, more money from Frost Bank. And for the most part, Frost Bank gave it to her. But at some point, they decided to put their foot down and say, listen, Mrs. Ruff, you're spending too much money, and it's our job to make sure that this trust lasts for your lifetime. It's what your husband wanted. Uh, that's what made her angry. And so her first lawsuit was actually against Frost Bank in 2011. So that's when the litigation began. Now, in Texas, uh, litigation over trusts occurs in a special court called probate court. And it's probate courts, while they are there to handle the disposition of wills and the transmission of money from one generation to the next, they're really not built for complex commercial litigation. And so what you had was you had Frost Bank versus these corrupt plaintiff's lawyers who were all looking to divvy up the remaining money of the trust. And once that fire got started, uh, it's been nearly impossible for us to put it out. In other words, it's a tar baby. Every time you throw a punch, you just get more and more ensnared by the lawyers, by the legal system, by the probate system. Uh, and that's really what caused this spiraling out of control of what I would term a minor dispute. You don't like Frost Bank as your trustee? Let's figure out something else. Uh, but my mother is, is what we call a high-conflict personality. Uh, she wants the fight. She felt betrayed by her children, and so she pulled us all into the lawsuit, uh, and we've been trying to get it resolved ever since. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So what's her well, – it's kind of a question mark for me in all this is if she is mentally ill – you know, the fact that this is seen as any level of credible or that she's even allowed to do that, right? You know, what, what, does she have a formal diagnosis or is she just? She does. So she actually has, she's been diagnosed with four different mental illnesses. Uh, she's bipolar. She has something called atypical depression. Uh, she has something called somatoform disorder. But the most difficult, she has something called borderline personality disorder. Um, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist, but from my understanding and from meeting with psychiatrists and from reading, borderline personality disorder is one of the most difficult psychiatric illnesses to treat. Um, so, for example, my mother is extremely high functioning, or she was when, when she was younger. So she is very bright. She's got a master's in history. She was a teacher. Uh, she, she pushed all of her children incredibly hard. Uh, and so she's the, – the term I use is she's wicked smart. She just really is. Um, unfortunately, in her warped mind, uh, what a borderline is able to do is they tend to see things in black and white. And so for the first 30 years of my life, uh, I was kind of her golden child. Um, I was the son that she went to to fix all of her problems. Uh, I was the shoulder that she would cry on. Uh, when my wayward brother Matt would get in trouble, she'd call me and I'd have to go clean it up. And so I was this incredible support system for a while, just like my dad was before he died. Uh, but then somewhere in there, in fact, the date is actually in 2009, uh, I refused to write a character letter uh, for my brother Matt prior to his sentencing uh, in front of uh, a U.S. judge named Barbara Lynn. Uh, my mother wanted a character letter saying that my brother's a good person. And I told her, Mom, I'm not going to lie to a federal judge. I'm just not going to do it. Matt is a bad person. He just is. I'm sorry that that offends you. And she said, Mike, I'm, I'm never going to speak to you again. Hmm. And that was, that was the end of that, literally on a dime. And so for, again, that, that first 30 years of my life, 
uh, in her eyes, I was this uh, I was this golden child. And then in a heartbeat, and that's what a borderline can do. They can switch on you. They can go from black to white very, very quickly. And so all of a sudden, I was on the outs. And over time, the rest of my siblings, she she treated the same way. As soon as there is a sense of betrayal or abandonment, uh, a borderline or someone with borderline personality cannot process that. That's something they cannot face, just like they cannot face the diagnosis that they're borderline. And so that's why it's, it's such a difficult psychiatric disease. Add in bipolarity, um, add in some depression, and it's this it's this really unique cocktail that, um, again, absent uh, the hell that she's put her children through for the last nine years, you'd have sympathy for somebody if they said, please help me. The problem is she can't even ask for help, and that's the difficulty in this process. Yeah, and so that all of that now makes it clear to me why in in the content that's out there on your website and in other news articles that have covered your family's um, you know experience with all of this that you talk about some some lawyers that you know aren't reputable right and so it sounds like if knowing all of that right if you're a lawyer and you know all this about a person and then they ask you to do all these things you'd think that would raise a flag but now they've got she's got people in a corner that probably are just seeing dollar signs for themselves is that the case uh, so it's not just the case. Uh, we didn't realize how much it happened and how much it was going on. So her lead attorney is a is a man named Randall Mathis. Uh, this is a guy who uh, his claim to fame is he defended uh, a bunch of the Catholic priests, pedophile priests down here in Texas. Uh, he lost a big case, but one of the things that he did was he brought in a psychiatrist, and I'm 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 actually I'm, I'm not making light of this. But the psychiatrist's name is Dr. Looney. Uh, fantastic name for a yeah, psychiatrist. How about it? So, so he brought him in and uh, as an expert witness, uh, and basically this man testified that the 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 victims of these child uh, molesting priests actually wanted to be molested. And so that that should give people pause of hang on just a second. How far is he willing to go uh, for uh, victory within the confines of the legal system? And what we found is within days of meeting my mother. So he met my mother in 2013. Within days of meeting her, he had actually had her meet with Dr. Looney, his lifelong friend of 30 years, and he had her assessed. Uh, and he had her assessed to make sure that he could figure out her vulnerabilities and make sure to put her in a box. And we recognized that the first time I saw my mom in four years was at what's called a deposition. So you sit and your lawyer asks questions about my mother's lawsuit against her children. And as I'm sitting in the deposition, she goes through things and she testifies that she didn't have a fax machine that she didn't have a computer. And I'm just sitting there realizing, oh my goodness, my mom is just not there mentally. She's lost it and she needs help. And instead of getting her help, so they they stopped all of her psychiatric treatment, all of it, took wow. her off all of her medications. And instead they've placed themselves in this tremendous position of power. And so it's almost as if she's got Stockholm syndrome and and that unfortunately has allowed the lawyers to control the litigation. And what we know now is that along the way, Randall Mathis and his group of lawyers has stolen over two million dollars from my mother, from her trust. So how does that happen? How do they steal it? Is it just in inflating their their legal fees and then she's paying the bills or they're literally just going in and taking money that they want? A couple of different ways. So one of the ways that they did it is they had one of their paralegals added to her bank account. So she, the paralegal took her in to uh, uh, Comerica Bank, and she was added as a co-signer on the account. Uh, they kept all of that hidden, and then during the litigation, they produced fabricated and false bank statements so that no one knew what they had done. 
in in that instance alone, they probably were able to steal somewhere between four hundred thousand and a million dollars, literally just taking it out of her bank account every single month. So Frost Bank was the trustee of her trust, and Frost Bank would simply deposit money into her account instead of paying her bills directly. And so you have this you have this elderly person who's mentally ill, who's unaware of things. Uh, money comes into her bank account, and almost immediately, it's drained out by a, this paralegal's name is Lynn Vu. She works for Randall Mathis, and a bunch of other money was going to my brother Matthew, who was at the time in federal prison, and he was running a scam from prison where he told my mother that he needed five thousand to seven thousand dollars a month for quote educational materials in prison. It's hmm. interesting. Which obviously turned out to be completely false. So instead, what he was having my mother do is he was having my mother go to Comerica Bank. She would ca- get cash out of Comerica, literally hundred dollar bills. She would then drive to a United States Postal Service post office and buy something called a money order. She would then send that money order to people with strange names. Uh, The one she remembers the most is Mahopic, New York, uh, for supposedly educational materials. She, in her mind, claimed she thought she was sending it to the Bureau of Prisons so that Matt could get those educational materials, DVDs, etc. Turns out there's not even a facility. There's not even a prison facility in Mahopic, New York. Uh, And it's a common scam uh, that prisoners run. And so my brother was sitting in prison, uh, siphoning off money uh, with the help of Lynn Vu, uh, this Randall Mathis's paralegal. Um, And we only found out about it during the litigation when, again, in a deposition with my mother, you start asking her questions or the lawyers do. And the answers are just so confounding that you're wondering what is going on here. Um, At one point, uh, the court ordered uh, an independent medical examination, and a psychiatrist came in and and, uh, studied my mother. Uh, The problem is my mother is functional enough to where in Texas she meets the hurdle for being competent. In other words, she can feed herself. Uh, She knows what a car is. She knows how to work a key in a lock. Uh, That's that's the hurdle in Texas to clear. Um, it doesn't matter that you're surrounded by people or that you have psychiatric illnesses that make you vulnerable toward to expo- exploitation. And so, so that's the that's been this unbelievably eye-opening experience where this is my mom. She's done awful things, but she needs help, and the system is completely unequipped to do it. Because the lawyers have gotten a hold of her, and it's almost as if there's no way out. Another example is uh, Randall Mathis had $300,000 tax lien from the IRS. He also defaulted on a $500,000 bank loan. So what did he do? He had he drove my mother to the bank and had her sign over almost $800,000 to him to pay off his bad bank debt. And to pay our pay off his IRS tax levy, and there's nothing we can do about it because, according to the Texas system, my mother's competent enough to make that decision. Hmm. Yeah, that's gonna be my next question: is how, if you know all this for certain, like you're saying, how do they get away with it? But it, there it is, right there. It's she's giving it to them, and she's giving it to them. So she's part and parcel with. It. So, for example, Randall Mathis, he was actually under investigation by the state bar of Texas, which is the regulatory body for lawyers, uh, and they looked into this and they found that he was guilty of exploiting her. But the punishment was to go take some classes on ethics. Mm. That was it. It wasn't pay back the money. It wasn't you lose your law license. Um, it was it was this slap on the wrist, and it's just stunning because in in our view, uh, we think of Randall Mathis as the the Michael Avenatti of Texas. He's literally taking a client's money, something that is absolutely verboten. You're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to be putting your client's interest above your own. Uh, but his greed has gotten to him. This is his 
retirement case and he's found a patsy in my mother. Um, and the system hasn't been willing to stand up and help her uh, because she'll sit there and she'll say, I, she literally uses these words, I love my lawyers. My lawyers are my family. And okay, I guess that's good enough. Let's move on. Yeah, interesting. So I'd like to get back to, you said it's been nine years, you're raising kids through this. So pivoting the conversation, what has that been like? I mean, it's, it's, I imagine hearing you talk, you're trying to turn this into an educational moment for those kids, but that has to be a hard thing to manage. Like you said, she may have done horrible things, but she's still your mom. She's still their grandmother, right? I imagine it's hard to balance that aspect with an ongoing lawsuit with being a father. So, so, so the biggest burden, uh, Miles, has actually fallen on my wife. Uh, she's actually been through hell over this. Uh, she recognized very early, oh my goodness, uh, she married into something that that she didn't even know at the time. It's my brother who's the pedophile. It's my brother who's a child sex offender. And so she went into protect mode, uh, and she's done a fantastic job of raising our sons. She's insulated them as best as best as she could. Uh, she hasn't allowed them and we haven't allowed them to have a relationship with their grandmother because my my mother is simply too erratic. And if you can imagine this, my mother was angry that we, Jenny and I, would not let our young sons be babysat by my brother Matthew, the pedophile. And so that should tell you something about the depth of her psychiatric illness and the way she views the world. And so my wife recognized that much sooner than I did. I mean, as we talked about before, she's my mother. And so you have that soft spot and you have that, ah, I just want to help. I want to give her another chance. I want to find a way through this. Uh, And luckily, Jenny recognized, wait a second, there's something terribly wrong here and we cannot We cannot risk the safety of our own children. We cannot risk the safety of our own family over this. And so we made some changes pretty quickly. Unfortunately, my mother Susie took those as abandonment, uh, and that stoked her anger towards us. Uh, But to your point, how have I been able to go fight these fights? It's because I've got a wife who has been a fantastic mother. She's raised two wonderful boys, and she's been supportive of me through this. She juggles being a mom. Uh, She juggles keeping our family unit together, Uh, and and she's uh, just been a stalwart when she's getting attacked over problems that are not her own. And so I, I can't fathom marrying into something like this and yet she's she's continued to be so supportive and positive through it. Yeah, I mean that's that's great for the for the boys and I'm sure great for you because this is 9 years of this I'm sure is enough to drive anybody crazy if you don't have a strong support system. So Oh, and and I think that's what that's what you're seeing in uh in the website uh that that my wife created. It's it's her avenue. She's had to sit in the background for these 9 years. And for the most part, she's been okay with that because she's gotten a chance to focus on the boys. She wanted to have that experience of babies and growing up and spending time with them. And we were lucky enough to be able to do that. I was off doing business. I was off handling the litigation. And she got to raise the, 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 our two wonderful boys. That's now changing. Uh, my older son is 15 years old. My younger son just turned 11. And so she's, she's finding this reinvigorated spirit to get her story out there because she's been silenced for all these years. It's almost as if she's suffered in silence. Okay. If she didn't know what to do in this situation that she married into. And so for her, just fight for justice is her getting her voice. Finally, she didn't get to speak uh, during this lawsuit. She wasn't a party to any of this. She married into it. And so just fight for justice is her way of, again, telling the world this, this is my story. This is what I've been through as a wife who got sucked into this mess. Uh, and, and for example, J- Jenny and my background are, are completely different. 
she's an immigrant. Her parents are from Bolivia. Uh, she's South American. She's worked hard her entire life. Contrast that with me. I was born on third base. Okay. I, I lived this privileged childhood. And yet we've managed to make this marriage work because she's so used to putting in the work, supporting and making sure that things get done. And without her, there's no way I would have survived these nine years of litigation. No way. Not a chance. Yeah. And just knowing now that she's the person behind the site, right? As I went through it, I mean, she, I wouldn't want to cross your wife. I mean, it seems like she's a documenter. There's a whole. There's a whole page on here about all the threats that have been made to you and your family throughout this whole thing. And she's got it all down here. <laughs> she's She's got to be one tough cookie. Uh, like you said, that the mama bear, right? Protecting her family. She goes into protection mode, and this is part of that. She is. And, and, and there's no doubt that when the boys were young, uh, she was very concerned about any of this affecting them. And so there was no reason to go public with her story. I think she finally feels comfortable that they are now old enough to understand uh, and not just understand, but they can take this and and have it be a learning experience for them. This has dominated her life and my life for so long. It's certainly dominated our married life that we want to share that with our boys so that they can learn from what we've gone through. Uh, and and maybe they'll understand why um, why we've done some of the things that we've done in terms of being so protective of them. It's because unfortunately, uh, they've got mental illness in their family in two different places. They've got a grandmother uh, who is full of hatred uh, for her own children, and they've got an uncle who is a pedophile, a child sex offender, a convicted felon, and somebody who has actually stalked their mother and themselves. I mean, that that's just – that's a lot for anybody to handle, and Jenny's not only handled it well, but she's also now – being courageous enough to tell her story so that others can either learn from it or at least maybe it's therapeutic and 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 she gets it out there and and so she feels that wow this this was there was a purpose in this uh and it's for her personal growth to say wow i came through all of these things and i'm stronger for it yeah and so i'm curious about that with the advent of the website and her sharing her story have you guys been approached by other people with similar stories, um, their own versions of this that's going on, and they can identify with the, the oddness of the legal system and all the things that you're fighting? So hands down, the, the, most, the most often comment is what we're finding is now that Jenny has spoken about my mother's mental illness and and it's and it's been put out there in public you would be amazed at the number of people that have mental illness in their family um and it's it's something that just it it shouldn't be viewed negatively uh any any less than um uh any other ailment it's it's not necessarily even the person's fault uh, and yet People have been either embarrassed or there's a stigma that comes along with it. And so we've had – I mean Jenny has had friends that she's known for decades who have reached out and said, Jenny, you're, you're not going to believe this, but my mother's bipolar. Uh, can we have coffee? <laughs> sure. I want to sh share with you what I've gone through. Um, so and, – and I think for Jenny, that's been not just eye-opening, but it's been comforting. Because it's it's putting it out there and it's saying, look, there, there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, Jenny's done nothing wrong, and and there's nothing wrong with mental illness. It's it's, it's it would be like blaming somebody for having cancer. Yeah, it's exactly what you and, said. It's like any other sickness; you can't really control it, it. And yet, for and yet for many decades, it hasn't been in the public discourse, or it comes with a negative connotation. Uh, and so what what this has done is I think this is this has almost provided Jenny with this support group of, hey, especially in the United States, there's a lot more prevalence of mental illness than you think. And it and it has and it places tremendous strains on interpersonal relationships, on family relationships, on marriages. And if and if you can talk about it openly, 
I think that's a that's a much better way to deal with it, and it certainly has been in our experience. Now, for me, I've got siblings who've gone through this with me, so I already have uh, that support group in place. But there are an awful lot of other people who don't have siblings like I do and who are struggling with an aging parent who's suffering from mental illness. And and that's the thing that maybe this can have a really big impact on of saying, look, there's there's nothing wrong with it. You've got to talk about it. And maybe we can get some change in the probate system that will better enable uh, uh, people with mental illness to be cared for instead of being exploited. Yeah, and do you know, is that is this unique to Texas, that system? You know, is that – because I know every state's different, right? So do you know if it's like this in other states across the country? So, so I don't. I, I believe it is for the most part. So, for example, you can go uh, watch episodes of Dirty Money, and you can find out, wow, uh, there are these uh, people that are in Virginia who have had – a similar experience where the lawyers get control of an elderly man's estate. And uh, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be a ton of money. Let's say it's $400,000, but it's his home. And instead they make a decision. They have him declared incompetent and they decide, you know what? You don't get to live in the home that you've lived in for 40 years. You need to go to uh, a nursing home. And they are allowed to make those decisions once they get control of that person. Now, in my mother's case, what's happened is she's trapped by her own psychiatric illnesses. And so she literally looks to her lawyers to do all the things for her. And unfortunately, she's caught up with some bad people and they've taken advantage of her. Now, a lot of that is coming to light now. So some of the details that we talked about earlier, those are only things that we found through litigation. And so maybe that is the silver lining, is that because these things are being exposed, uh, maybe there will be some change in the Texas probate system because we've got this generational change that's going to happen where you've got an awful lot of people who are getting older and older. Uh, you've got COVID happening. Um, there are already discussions that that has some effect on cognitive function. And so it's this interesting mix of things that's happening, and, and maybe it is the right time for Jenny to share her story and for us to talk about uh, how we can prevent this for, from happening to other people. Yeah, and on top of that, you've got things like this, right? We're doing a podcast that will be heard around the world about this topic that you know didn't have – well, it's been around for decades, but it hasn't been as widely popular, right, until recent and, and not- years. Yes, and, and it's the interconnectedness. So in other words, what and what I didn't understand is, you know, sometimes people feel so isolated. Uh, they feel like they don't have somebody else that they can look to for support, especially when it comes to mental illness. Uh, and like you said, podcasts, um, the interconnectedness of the Internet, it doesn't matter that the, the same story may be occurring in Portland, Oregon. And so if they can learn something from our experience without ever even having met us, that's something that's, again, would never have happened because normally the system, the legal system is so controlled and so different uh, in each state. Yeah, yeah, totally. I found that on just about every topic on this podcast, right? Even if it's not my story, like that whole, hey, you'll never believe this, want to get coffee? I get those types of texts often after a certain episode, people will reach out to me and say, wow, that I really related to X, Y, and Z because that's happened to me. And sometimes it just takes hearing someone say it first and then you, that empowers you to also share your story. So that's – It's a new way, new way to make a connection. And again, that's why uh, Jenny yeah. was excited to talk to you and, and uh, again tell, tell a little bit about our story. So with you telling your story, one thing that has been in my head and I've been curious about since we started talking was – you're very forward with here's the exact person, the exact person's name um, of what they're going on. I'm assuming you're comfortable with that. You don't fear retribution of these people coming after you. You know, we share this episode; it gets out there. They get upset if they hear it, and it adds to the lawsuit. You don't think there's a, a chance of that, or you're, it's not a worry for you? Uh, I think there's absolutely a chance for it. Um, but it, it's not something that we fear again. So so Jenny's kind of made the decision that, you know what, she's she sat in silence. I mean, my brother stalked her for over a year. 
Okay. He drove past our house. People told us, the authorities told us, just don't confront him. You don't want to escalate. Uh, that turned out to be bad advice because his behavior then escalated. Uh, it, when he ran into my bro- my other brother, Mark, uh, who is a United States Air Force pilot, uh, my brother, Matt, the bad brother, threatened to kill my brother, Mark. Jeez. So, so we've seen this escalating pattern of behavior. And, and as a family unit, we've decided, you know what? Enough is enough. We're not going to fear anymore. We're going to tell our story. We're going to make sure that it's out there. And whatever comes, comes. Nothing for Jenny could be worse than what she's already gone through. She's lived in fear. She's been alone. Uh, she's hasn't had a voice in a system that has completely failed her, completely failed her. And like I said, now that her boys are older, and now that we're willing to talk about it, uh, it's something that again she just doesn't fear. And so naming names, uh, that is that's empowering um, because without it, that's how the bullies get away with things. They send threatening letters. They intimidate you in court. And Jenny said enough is enough, and I support it fully. And so that's why we're going public with this because it just shouldn't be kept under a box. It shouldn't be done in the dark. Yeah, yeah, I, I commend you guys. It, it couldn't have been a difficult, it couldn't have been an easy decision to come to. It had to be difficult, but I'm sure after nine years of it, right, it, it becomes a little bit easier to make. Like you said, you reached that point where it just needs to be said. Yeah, and, and, and Jenny's the one who's who's truly uh, been courageous through this thing. Like I said, she's been she's been the support system this entire time, uh, and and it's been behind the scenes. And and she's tired of not being able to advocate for herself. Um, she's tired of being told uh, things that have turned out to not be. So the conventional wisdom in this case has been wrong almost every time. Uh, authorities will tell you, oh, we've got this handled. Uh, the lawyers will tell you, oh, we've got this handled. But that's really because the system itself is flawed. And so by by going public with this, by by Jenny telling her story, there's there is safety, there is a release, there is hope that not only will her life change, that uh, maybe she can prevent somebody else from from going through that pain in silence. Right. Right. So I'm going to switch up the line of questioning a little bit, and I'm going to ask you a question I ask every single guest on Relish the Journey. Um, I ask everyone to describe their journey in three words. Now, for you, I'll put it in the context of this this legal battle we've been talking about, right? If you had to summarize the past nine years of your life and being involved in this, how would you – Wrap it up into three words. Yeah, you're going to put me on the spot. Um, uh, so I would pick uh, faith, family, and I'm actually going to say fortunate. Uh, faith, um, I, I was raised Lutheran, so I'm a Christian uh, to the core. Uh, I believe that my time here on this earth is temporary. Uh, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Uh, and so uh, that that comes directly from my father. So my father raised me Lutheran, and I was so blessed to have a man that I uh, idolized and loved as a dad set an example of saying, Mike, the most important relationship you're going to have is your relationship with the Lord. And so that my, my faith in that is what is the genesis, the beginning, and the end of all of this. Now, sitting on that faith is, is my family, and the journey with my family uh, has been one that is um, it's it's hard for me to describe. We talked a little bit about it before. So my marriage, uh, I've been married 17 years. Uh, Jenny had no idea <laughs> what she was <laughs> stepping. None, sure, none. And so I look at her with awe when I say, "Oh my goodness, you you went through all this. You're still a wonderful mother. You're still a wonderful person, uh, and our marriage has survived." Um, and we've built this amazing family. I mean, we live for our sons. Uh, I spent today uh, with my older son at a baseball tournament. Uh, 
Um, again, it's a Thursday, and yet from 8.30 a.m. till 7 p.m., that's where we were. Uh, Jenny has allowed me to create this uh, wonderful little nuclear family, uh, and she's been the stalwart for it. And so as much as the as, as many things as I've done in business, as much of this litigation that's gone on, what's been great is that Jenny has been uh, she's been the steady in all of it. She's been the one that's kept the family together. She's been the one who changed diapers. She's been the one who raised our children. Uh, she's created for us this uh, uh, this this faithful little family. Um, and then the last part is I, I would say I'm, I've been unbelievably fortunate. And people look at me like, oh, how is that possible? You've been through nine years of litigation. Uh, and it's that I believe there's a purpose to this. Uh, I believe that through this process, uh, I've become stronger. I believe that through this process, it's turned me back towards the Lord and it's turned me back towards my family. Uh, there were times when I was so devoted when I was younger to business, when I was so devoted to success. That was so important to me. And through this process, it's really recognized I've, – I've really recognized that those are the, the, the simple things are what I have loved, my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with my wife, and, and the kindness that she's put into our family. I, I, I consider myself incredibly fortunate to be where I am. And I don't know if that answers your question or if that um, – that that that's that's a life picture, but I don't know that the litigation is any different. And so I'd probably use those same words if you said, Mike, give me the three words about your entire life. It's, sure. it's well, that's a great out. I mean, that's a fantastic uh, outlook because, like I said it earlier, right? It would I feel like the, your situation would break most people, and I was not expecting such three positive three words. Um, but that's awesome. I mean, that's. It's great and, that you guys have made to find, you know, that within all these other things, right? And and I would tell you though that that I I can promise you that I would not have used three positive words uh, were it not for the support of a loving wife. I mean that that has been the grounding mechanism in all of this. Uh, if if Jenny had said, Mike, I can't take it anymore. Uh, or if the system had broken her, or if her fear of my brother uh, was too much for her to bear, uh, that would have been that would have been incredibly different. But that's that's the part, like I said, that I that I think leads to that fortunate or to that hope is that both Jenny and I believe that you're you're not tested with more than you can handle. Uh, that doesn't mean that you aren't pushed to the brink, because I promise you. Both Jenny and I have been pushed to the brink. I mean, imagine uh, marrying into a family where uh, your husband's brother threatens your ch your young children. I mean, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah, that's crazy. It's a nightmare, and yet she finds a way to be positive. Uh, and uh, and because she started to tell her story, you find out. Wow, a lot of other people. Um, are more willing to share uh, some of the struggles that they have in their families and in their life. Yeah, which, you know, if any, if there can be any positive that comes out of all of it, right? It's that. It's that it can be a tool for other people to learn from and to help them with whatever they're going through. For sure. And, and, and you can see it in everyday life. I mean, you know, Jenny's one of those people that, that walks around smiling. Uh, and 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 that positivity, um, you just never know who it's going to impact because I promise you somebody's having a worse day than you are. Somebody's going through something that that is pushing them past their boundaries. Uh, and if they hear a story where, man, just persevere, just keep going, there is hope. You will find your faith. You will find a better way. You'll find a path forward um, that. You just never know when that's going to be the correct message for somebody who who is at their breaking point. Uh, and I think it's incredibly powerful uh, and incredibly courageous for Jenny to put herself out there the way she has, because I do think it's going to be inspiring to an awful lot of women who are in similar situations, um, an awful lot of men as well who have gone through difficult things. 
or have dealt with mental illness or have dealt with stalking or have dealt with domestic violence. I mean, this touches on a lot of topics. And Jenny's put it all out there and said, hey, um, I've gone through a lot and I'm still standing. And not only that, I raised some boys during it and she's getting her feet about her again. And she's saying, I got a lot of life left in me. and I want to tell this story uh, and, and I want to make things better for not just myself, but for everybody around me. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know it's the story has touched me. It's really it puts things perspective in my life, right? If I think I'm having a bad day, <laughs> it gives me that. You know, it's it's incredible what you guys are going through and what you're making out of it. And if people are listening to this and they want to get involved, they want to learn more, they want to somehow support you all, we just send them to the website, right? Or is there yeah. so, someplace else where they should they should check out your story online? Uh, just fight for justice. It's uh, just fight. And then the number four uh, justice.com. That's the best place. Uh, and, and again, we're, we're real people going through something real. Now I'd contrast that, you know, miles and tell you that uh, if, for example, uh, is for whatever Jenny's been through, she also gets a, a phone call and we recognize just how blessed we are. Uh, my, my son has a friend uh, who was just diagnosed with uh, multiple forms of cancer. And so our heart breaks for them because our problem seems so little uh, compared to something like that. I mean, as, as you and I yeah. were talking, having a child that's sick, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. Uh, my other son, uh, a, a boy on his baseball team, uh, less than two months ago, a 10-year-old, uh, was killed in a in an ATV accident. Mm, yeah, terrible. He, and and so in the middle of what Jenny goes through, she instead wants to reach out and help those people. That's the kind of inspiration uh, that's there because we know uh, we don't have it bad. Other people are struggling with much worse. Uh, that doesn't mean that Jenny isn't going through a lot and doesn't want to tell her story. But we also have the perspective of man. Um, this this life can be hard, and and we want to make sure that everybody understands that that if you're hurting, uh, find a support system um, because somebody is going through what you're going through. Yeah, yeah, I really admire that perspective. It's that's a message that so many people need to hear. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing it with me here this evening, and appreciate your time. It's been about an hour, believe it or not, already. And wow. So I look forward to helping to share your story, get the word out, and we'll send people to that website. Awesome. Miles, have a great night. I appreciate you. All right. Wow, everybody. That is a wrap on this episode, and quite an episode it was. An incredible story, an amazing mindset on Mike and his wife, his family, for what they're going through. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. So check out their website in the show notes of this episode. Share this episode, help spread the word. I'd also love it if you could rate and subscribe to the show. It helps us advance in the podcasting world. Until next time, I'm Miles Biggs. This is Drawls the Journey. Cheers.